1: Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the SEND podcast, we have the return of the legend and one of the early pioneers of the truth movement, Dennis McKenna. He is an ethno-pharmacologist and he has spent decades doing deep academic and personal research on consciousness and psychedelics and he is also the brother to the well-known Terence McKenna. And Dennis was actually last on the podcast on episode 60, so if you've not listened to that, I would definitely recommend checking that one out I was, as it was a gem. So through our entire human existence, great minds of the past have been in chasing the mystical experience, chasing the unknown, and perhaps one of the most meaningful experiences that we can have as a human being, the mystical experience. And with the mystical experience, there are many different common attributes that come up. A feeling of cosmic unity, a oneness with everything, a feeling of transcendence and of time and space. The mind opens up from the shackles, pure bliss, gratitude for everything. And the mystical experience is something that just cannot be quite put into words. And it's a feeling that is hard to transcend. And it's a feeling that goes beyond language. You can't label it and you can't put it in a box. And the mystical experience even transcends over to human transformation. It leaves seeds in your mind that even though even though it is a temporary state, it transcends over to your current reality and inspires you to become a better version of yourself. And everyone who has listened to this podcast right now, you are all doing exactly what other great minds in the past were chasing. Chasing the unknown and chasing the mystical experience. So I just know that this podcast is going to add to that and plant some more seeds in your own mystical experience in your mind. So just before we do jump with this one, I just wanted to say thank you so much to all our current Patreon members who do support the podcast and who have become a Patreon member. We really do appreciate you guys helping us take the podcast to the next level and believing in the message that we are trying to spread. In two Sundays ago just gone, we just carried out our first Ascend Patreon hangout which was an absolute blast and we had an amazing fun time. There was four of us in the Hangout, we talked about dreams, simulation, the nature of reality and so much more we had so much fun. And in the upcoming Hangouts, we are now going to be planning on focusing on more specific certain topics. So what we were thinking from now on in the Ascend Hangouts is choosing a specific topic for the Hangout, so example would be dreams. Then that would also give you guys time to think of anything that you would love to bring up in the Hangout around the topic of dreams. And say we did choose to talk about Dreams in the hangout, there then could be the possibility to bring in an expert on Dreams, like Robert Wagner, and then you guys could ask him some questions which would be so cool. So, if you guys do want to become a patreon member and join in on the monthly hangouts and support the podcast please go to our patreon page and check out all the different reward tiers and if the hangouts don't in- interest you we also have other award tiers where you can support the podcast we even have a two dollar award tier which gives you access to free bonus content from the podcast we also have a five dollar one which gives you access to cool guided meditations and binaural beats and as you know we've never and never will advertise stupid products, or we've never bombarded you with stupid things that just don't serve you as a human being on this planet. So if you do think this is a conscious idea, supporting us via our Patreon page really is the best way. So anyway, let's jump with this one. Dennis McKenna, enjoy.
2: All right, so here we are, yeah. and uh, let's uh, let's get into it. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. when L- the uh, games begin. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, we're, Dennis and we are looking forward to it. We're, we're so grateful for you to come back on the podcast again, and uh, we've been really... Like, the first time we talked as well, it was an amazing conversation, and our listeners absolutely, like, sort of... You just absolutely blew people's minds. People loved the conversation, <laughs> and... Um, and last time you were on the podcast as well, we got into some um, we got into some really interesting and um, deep waters as usual. And um, we were talking about how um, certain psychedelic plants having messages and the possibility of um, the planet itself, like Mother Ga- uh, Gaia or Mother Earth, whatever you want to call it, actually trying to sort of possibly communicate with us through sort of certain plant medicines, which is very fascinating. And, um, and we we're talking about how the planet itself could actually be sending us messages. That we've sort of gone off track sort of wake up your little monkeys that's what we we're sort of saying. but um i was actually just to start this off dennis do you actually think to, to jump back into that conversation do you think that the um, plants could actually be sort of trying to get across a deeper message to us in a suggestion that maybe that all life is sort of interconnected and sort of interdependent and that everything is alive and, and intelligent and maybe even the universe itself itself is alive could that be could that be the case
2: well, (laughs) the short answer is yes, I think so I mean, that's what I that's what I understand you know, and uh, I mean, that's my perspective and I think that's something that uh, you know, the psychedelic experience sort of brings that forward you know, I mean, it's it's my perspective, but it's indigenous perspective, it's you know, the idea that uh, really everything is intelligent at some level, even the you know, even electrons, even atoms, you know, this sort of intrinsic intelligence is just built in to the way reality is put together. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you're indigenous or stoned on a psychedelic, and there may not be that much difference, you know, you can see these things. I mean, we are conditioned to filter those perceptions out, right, because they're not immediately useful. And we also have, you know, as whatever, you know, I think that one of the things that separates us from those perceptions in some ways is literacy in a certain way, because then if you're literate, which is, you know, a good thing to be, we agree it's a good thing to be, but it changes the lens through which you perceive reality, you know, and if you're less Literate and more or less verbally oriented, you have a, a different mode of perception.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, by the way, as well, I love that. I love that point. Um, absolutely love that point. By the way, what you said there as well, and um, I was when you were talking about how, in a way, we were sort of um, we're, we're sort of um, in, put in a direction to sort of filter things out, filter out filter out that understanding that everything is intelligent. But why? Just to hone in on that point, why do you think we are sort of um? We are led in that direction to sort of filter that understanding out.
2: Why do I think what? I, I didn't completely hear
1: when Before when you were talking about how um, how the sense of, like we were talking about before how the sense of that, the sense that the understanding that us three have now, that everything is interconnected and the, um, the universe is intelligent and things like that. And you, you said about how, in society, that sort of, in a way, that, that understanding of that pretense is actually being filtered out. But I was actually wondering, why do you think that has, that understanding of the world is interconnected? And there is more of the world is actually being filtered out of our understanding?
2: Why is it being filtered out?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, uh, I don't think it's anything necessarily deliberate. I think it's just... Uh, you know, like I say, when you are when you live more immersed in nature, for one thing, you know you're closer to processes that you know we are estranged from, we're separated from, and then you know if we're the, your typical you know Western whatever fairly well educated person, we're literate. We have a certain conceptual background. We this is part of the reality, you know, hallucination that we construct for ourselves. It's partly made up of uh, conditioning and concepts, and you know, we much of the lens through which we apprehend the world, uh, you know, is something that our brains construct. And a lot of what the brain does is filter things out. You know, it's more about excluding information coming in from the outside than it is really admitting it, because if it all came in at once, you, we'd be totally overwhelmed. So there is in neuroscience this, this uh, you know, this is well known in neuroscience. I mean, I mean Aldous actually called this the reducing valve, but the idea that the brain and the way that it apprehends the world has to selectively filter out probably of the content, you know, otherwise we'd just be driven, you know, be a blooming, buzzing, confusing. So there is this phenomenon or this process in neuroscience is called neural gating. And neural gating is kind of the threshold at which uh, stimuli and perceptions get through. They get through that filter. You know, and various you know, that, and the neural gating uh, mechanisms are varying all the time. Psychedelics can lower the the gating thresholds for most senses, so that temporarily, uh, you know, a great deal more information flows in. That's why you know you get this flood of perception information and so on. But usually it's set to a higher level so, simply so that you can function. And then and the typical uh, you know, example of uh, neural gating, for example, we're in a restaurant, of, you're in a noisy restaurant, right? And you're trying to hear what the people on, at your table are saying to you. You have to selectively filter out all the background if you can so that you can focus on some what they're saying. But if somebody at the table next to you, for some reason, says your name, that's going to get through the gate, you know, suddenly, oh, somebody over here has said my name, what are they talking about, you know, because you perceived a piece of data that you might say, well, this is relevant, you know, it's, and so it gets through, I'm kind of a belabored example, but that's how the brain works, you know, it takes A certain slice of sensory data that comes through our receptors but they have to get through that neural gate neural gating mechanism first and then it puts that together with everything else memories associations and so on and uh, you know uh, generates uh, this this hallucination essentially that we that we call reality
0: yeah yeah definitely it's like um, when you said the mention of like if you hear your name or something it kind of like acts as a trigger in the mind which is which is very interesting as well especially when it calls on like memories like Straight away, I think it, it impacts like the safety mechanism in the mind where it goes These people know my name. Am I in danger now? That, that's what my perception of it is I, I believe that everything comes down first and foremost to the safety aspect of the human mind and that's that's how, That's basically what my conception on that is then um, it's like when you were taught in there um, when you're taught like getting rid of like the information um filtering out the information, sorry, it's I think it's as well like um when we actually do like filter out the um, program of man's creations such as like laptops phones like and we actually do like go into nature a bit more like you said and, like we are kind of like cutting off like man's information but when we go into nature we gain like earth's information and so it mm-hmm. completely changes the program of the brain itself how does how does this happen how does like this fastness of this ancient information completely changed and alter us back into how we should be
2: well I think it just uh, I think it you know I think that psychedelics like they temporarily disrupt this uh, artificial reality or we create you can call it various things that you know call it the reality hallucination. You know, we don't experience reality directly. We experience it indirectly. What, what we live in is a model of reality, and we know that it resembles reality. Or the the real, the unknowable real world is out there somewhere. We assume that our model corresponds to it to some degree. I mean, and it must because you know we have it has survival value there are a lot of elements that are listening, l- 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 missing. You know, there's a lot of elements because it's essentially a simplified version of uh, uh, reality because a lot of this information is irrelevant and we, we could deal with it. So we are so, um, you know, it's, it's not just in our immediate experience. We also have, you know, we sort of have put... Uh, how would I say it? We we have this architecture. It's like we're living in this in this bubble, and that includes essentially everything that we've learned, things we've read, what we've learned at school. All this, you know, it's all there somewhere in in the brain, and all those elements are put together in the process of experience to generate an experience that is more or less coherent for us and and comprehensible. And, you know, psychedelics challenge that, temporarily temporarily disrupt it, and that can be very useful because it lets you step out of your reference frame for a temporary time. when When you live in that situation, when you don't have a choice, in other words, you're always being... Uh, impacted by these these stimuli from the environment that are, for most people, below the threshold most of the time, that can be very distracting. And, in fact, that's been associated with things like schizophrenia and other types of conditions. Uh, Interesting work has been done showing that schizophrenics... uh, don't have this gating mechanism. They, you know, and you can do this in animals too. You can give uh, like rats or something a startle response, like a loud noise, you know, and you can measure it in EEG or whatever. They will respond to that startle uh, stimulus, but if they, if you keep giving it, eventually they'll adapt to it and they won't respond to it anymore, and that goes on. In the human too, in terms of getting used to these stimuli, that we we eventually we figure that we we learn to ignore those things, to program those things out. But for a schizophrenic, they don't have that skill. You know, the the first stimulus is, you know, the fifteenth or the fiftieth stimulus is just as impactful as the first. So they're gating mechanisms are disabled and you know i mean it's not that simple but that is an aspect of that's behind uh schizophrenia and other types of uh you know mental disorders and somebody they're just person you know there's too much information coming in and the poor person can't process it yeah. and
1: you yeah yeah i love that by the way that was a very, very uh, deep point by the way as well and um just to jump back as well before as well because i, I did not want to skim over this because um when we were talking before about um how this understanding that to get to get to that point of that understanding that everything is sort of interconnected and sort of independent um it's very interesting because you mentioned um before you mentioned indi- indigenous cultures and it, the point came to my mind as well i was actually thinking when you mentioned the word um indigenous cultures i was actually thinking in my head if we do look back at the past um that sort of understanding that um that everything is interconnected and sort of independent, that understanding was, if we look back, it was actually built in a sort of most um, indigenous sort of worldviews and arguably as well, probably as a culture and sort of the actions from that were sort of a, a direct influence of that understanding as well. But I, was, I would love to ask you this, Dennis, from that as well. I mean, why do you think this was the case? If we, when we do look back it, in sort of indigenous cultures, why do you think that understanding was sort of crucial to their life and the, the understanding about the nature reality? Do you ever think about that?
2: Well, i I think that um, I think that I think that um, it it's a function of the way they interface with with reality. I mean, I think that they're because they live in nature, closer to nature, they become uh, adept at perceiving processes in nature that that are opaque to us that we're not aware of. You know, and I mean, besides the fact of literacy, we are trained, you know, and literacy with all the conceptual baggage that that comes with, you know, we're trained to see the world through a certain tunnel. They don't have that tunnel, you know, they see it in a different way. So the idea that the world is interconnected, that, uh, you know, everything has a degree of intelligence, that... You know, consciousness kind of pervades reality. Um, these are not concepts for these people; mm-hmm. these are experiences. This is the way they see it. It's just, it's just self-evident, you know, for them. And so we're, and it's like this is not really a big insight. This is just their empirical way that they apprehend the world. Now, for us, you know we have this these cultural traditions we have all of this conditioning for us to have that experience you know we have to disable these gating mechanisms psychedelics are useful for that and then it puts you in a place that is not unlike the way an indigenous person might perceive the world and of course they they also have access to psychedelics but they presumably they're not they're not loaded on Psychedelics all the time, but they can take that worldview with them So it's it's empirical observation, you know, these are not these are not suppositions of how the world is for them Like it might be for us. It's it's actually this is how We experience the world, you know directly itself. It's self-evident, you know a a, a an indigenous person you know, who has this experience, if you ask them that question, they'd say, well, you know, I don't understand the question, isn't yeah. it obvious? It's just self-evident,
1: yeah. Yeah, I love that, by the way, Dennis, as well. And, like, I loved how you said, because in a sense, for them, it is just a way of life. And I loved when you said that, um, you said you mentioned the word tunneling, because for me as well, it seems to be that us in society now, we've sort of, we are in that tunnel, in a sense. And what's interesting to me, that um, that sort of understanding of the view of life for me, anyway, it seems to it seem to it is sort of start, starting to slowly come back into society, but it sort of seemed to to vanish from the planet. I mean, I mean, it's it's really it's really hard when you do look at it now. I mean, I mean, do you think we can actually can we get to a point where we can have that balance of the two worlds? Where because we are in a time now where we are sort of technologically equipped and we understand that yeah. the natural world is important. I mean, can we? How can we sort of find that wisdom wisdom again and tap into that balance? Do you think we can do it? <sighs>
2: Well, um, I think we have to, I, I, you know, I don't know if, I mean, I think, again, I think psychedelics are learning tools for recovering that, that prehistoric, preliterate, uh, way of perception. I mean, there, there may be other ways to do it. There are certainly other ways to do it. Uh, but psychedelics are something that are available to most people and, They'll give you a crash course in sort of this, you know, experiencing this new, uh, you know, this this non-Western kind of worldview. So they're very useful for that. And I think, you know, it is important that more and more people connect to that understanding and, and assimilate that idea. Because, you know, as I've often said, the crisis of our times is the fact that we as a species feel separated from nature, you know, and we have to reestablish that bond on a very fundamental level. We have to have, we have to see this consciousness shift before uh, we can really begin to address the problems that we're facing, you know. And the Western mind, the Western mindset has been, has been in a sense, uh, poisoned you know by this by this western tradition you know which i lay at the feet mostly of of judeo-christianity you know this idea that nature is not important essentially that we exist we are at the pinnacle of existence and uh, nature exists to just for us to dominate and exploit not the case you know i mean that's a very dangerous way to look at it and now we see we're reaping the consequences of that so we've got to get back to the idea that you know number one we're not running this show you know the biosphere is running the show especially the plants right because the plants are maintaining life on earth through photosynthesis so we have to uh, we have to get back to an appreciation that we're not We're not the owners or the dominators of nature. We're just a part of nature. And, you know, our role is to, uh, uh, you know, uh, nurture nature to the extent that we can and to the extent that we can't get out of the way, you know. So uh, so some, uh, you know, you've got to change this conditioned worldview that, that, you know, and it's essentially the the poison of civilization in a certain way. Uh, not that civilization per se is a bad thing, but some of the you know some of the ideas, some of the mindsets that develop are they're unquestioned, right? And because they're unquestioned, that's not good. You know, everything should be questioned
1: yeah i definitely agree with that as well and um it's it's very interesting when you made that point there because i think as well that understanding that understanding of what you were saying there it is sort of if we like the ayahuasca and sort of the plant the by by the plant sending us messages in a a sense they are trying to communicate that that sort of that that understanding back to our minds it's very interesting i mean and this is just a spin-off from this as well what i thought there through that understanding as well that we understand that the plant is the planet itself maybe actually sort of trying to transcend over messages to us and um and we know that the planet may be intelligent and things like that, when you were talking about the biosphere and things like that. I mean, could this actually be proof? I mean, this is a big question, but could that actually be proof that the planet itself is, Earth itself is conscious?
2: Uh, Well, uh, yeah, I think it can be approached. And I think that, uh, number one, you have to, um, you know, you have to define your terms, right? I mean, Consciousness, that's a big one. What do you mean by consciousness? I would say also intelligence is another is another big term, but what I mean I, I think that plants are intelligent. I think the biosphere as a whole is intelligent. But then what do I mean by intelligence? Or what should we mean by intelligence? It's not like our intelligence, you know, which we associate with brains and, and, you know, you have to have a brain to be intelligent. Not necessarily, you know. I mean, what you have to have are highly hyperconnected networks, right, so-called uh, neural networks because they're modeled on the nervous system, but you don't have to have a ner- nervous system to have a highly connected network. If you look at things going on in old-growth forests, for example, You know the the plants, the trees in that forest, they modulate and regulate the whole ecosystem through networks of roots and fungi that are associated in the soil, so-called mycorrhizal relationships. These are symbiotic relationships, and they are the communication, um, you know, the communication networks for the uh, for the forest for that biome. You know, I mean, in a sense, you could say they are the brains or the nervous system of that bio. And it's vastly greater in size than the human brain, but it has as many connections, if not more, as the human brain has. You know, so that these systems are exquis- exquisitely regulated through these this process of, of signal transduction, which is basically what this video I referenced to you is is about. Signal transduction is chemically mediated communication, right, and and in other words a molecule travels somewhere to, you know, maybe it diffuses through an ecosystem, it finds a target and it stimulates a response, it finds a receptor of some kind and it stimulates a response. Same thing goes on within the brain. And then we call it neurotransmission. But essentially, it's the same thing. You know, these messenger molecules that plants make, that they have made, are the same molecules that, you know, they become internalized into the brain for signal transduction. And and then we call them neurotransmitters, hormones, hormones. Whatever, but those molecules existed, you know, they had a, a macro uh, a function in the ecosystems, and then they became specialized or internalized for the use in nervous systems.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, is that making any <laughs> no, sense? No, no, it so, certainly did. It certainly okay. did. Um, it w- yeah, it really indicated the point of like how Earth's intelligence is. Different, but yet very similar to that of us as um, humans. I mean, we actually, yeah. we actually put. I think we're actually putting more and more limitations on our intelligence. Whereas, I think nature, in a sense, is putting. It's. It's. Maybe I'm. I think, and we're kind of like disconnecting ourselves from nature. We disconnect ourselves from the intelligence. So is like is nature itself is that is that limiting its intelligence to us? Because we're disown ourselves away from it.
2: Well, I, because we—I uh, mean, I've,
0: you say because
2: we are distancing ourselves from it. We're we're getting separated from it. I don't quite understand the thrust of what you're saying here. Yeah, I, okay, I think. Yeah, I, I think that. Um, You know, we—it's uh, it, a question. You know, it's a question of what is intelligence. I mean, we—we are—we are again. This has to do with the conditioning that it's hard to step out of. You know, we operate within a reference frame. So we operate within a reference frame of being literate beings with a cultural tradition and you know a certain amount of education and exposure to all sorts of information that's going to create a sort of conceptual and intellectual and perceptual framework in which you operate. You know, that is your, that is your reality hallucination, you know, or your reality construction. I mean, maybe hallucination is not a good word because it's majority, but you know, you're the producer director and star of your own movie, you know, but beyond that, beyond the whole cultural element, we're also, you know, we're conditioned, uh, you know, I mean, we're mammals, right? So, so we have that going for us, and mammals have usually complex brains and nervous systems, and, and that's how they perceive the world. So we assume that, you know, that we're, we're caught within that framework, or we're stuck with that framework, but that doesn't mean that other systems, other organisms, can't perceive the world in just as complex ways. But we have a hard time imagining how that might be, you know, because we perceive through, you know, our five senses. So for them, for you know, say, well, you know, a plant perceives and interacts with the world through numerous, numerous ways too. But it's hard to imagine, at least in a Normal state of consciousness. How that might be for the plant. So psychedelics are useful in that sense because you can can actually get into the mind of the plant and so you can be a plant and see what is it like for for the plant to uh, you know be in the world and interact with what what is its experience. I guess
0: yeah.
2: because it's living, right? So it's got to have experience of some kind. Experience is the like point moment of whatever's happening in your uh metabolism. Yeah. If that makes
0: sense. Yeah, yeah, Dennis, it was a beautiful point as well. Um Dennis, um something I wanted to touch on which was very similar to the point was uh, oneness. It's just it's kind of like in the past we had like a oneness connection with nature where we knew we were dependent on her. We knew we were dependent on nature for food um, To hunt to 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 build our like civilization up but now it's kind of like a feeling like we can just go to the supermarkets to get some food and 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 um, mm-hmm. We just need money money's now our new like our new evolution But it's this right. is what I'm getting at when I'm talking about like Before we had this oneness. We had this complete intelligence with nature. We had the trust in nature But now because we've like leaned away from that and we're trusting like other types of like industry and nature sorry in, in, um, stuff like mobile phones and laptops and money to, you know, to satisfy all of our needs And but we do like, kind of like in my sense we're ourselves from the idea that nature is our reality and our, our reality is what we seek in front of us which is laptops and phones and that and when I'm saying like intelligence I'm meaning like we're losing the, the trust of nature and so I'm wondering: Are we actually losing like nature's trust in itself? That's what I'm saying. Like, are we are we like being disconnected from nature? Is nature disconnecting itself from us?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. That is a good question, and I don't uh, I don't know the answer. I think uh, you know, if you look historically, I think that you know we are becoming more estranged from nature. And a lot of our religious and cultural traditions have conditioned us to that. I mean, we're taught under the Judeo-Christian perception to devalue nature, right? Essentially, you don't have to, because it's of this world and, and those traditions always say, well, you know, your reward is in heaven, so you, you know, you shouldn't, value what's what's uh, you know what's in this world I think this is a bit of a con game actually because we don't really know if you know and likely that is not the case you know but we're conditioned not to value nature not to value even our own corporeal existence you know what does religion forbid the most sex drugs and rock and roll right yeah Those are the three essential things that characterize life, you know? I mean, so so we are conditioned through the Judeo-Christian, you know, sort of, you know, propaganda machine to devalue the very things that make us living biological beings. There's this denial of biology. Well, psychedelics are the uh, antidote to that, you know? They will put it right back in your face, shove your face into the fact that, you know, you're a biological entity and you're immersed in an ecosystem and you're interacting with all other kinds of biological entities. So, you know, and you're right. The point that you made about how we've surrounded ourselves with these information devices. I mean, I, I don't, you know, they have a place. I don't think we can all go back and live in the rainforest, you know, like indigenous people. I mean, there there are too many of us. But what we can do is achieve more sort of clarity in the way that we use this technology and, and you know, um, not become enslaved by it. You know, we have to at some point... Be able to step out of it, and I think I think that is one of the big, um, you know, uh, one of one of the main uses of psychedelics in our culture. It gives us a chance to step out of our, these contexts and look at it from a different per, uh, different perception, you know, different perspective. So when you do get back, you know, into your normal life or whatever. You may still use your laptop, and your phone, and do all these things, but maybe you have a little more uh, consciousness of how you're doing that. You know, more insight into it, and um, and that's that's really a, a start. You know, I, I don't think we can just abandon technology. We have to, in some ways, evolve beyond it.
1: Uh, that's very interesting I love that but I love that point by the way Dennis as well and um, as well before Dennis as well when um, you were you you're talking about how psychedelics can help help us sort of achieve that understanding it's very interesting to me because I know when you and your when you and your brother did have these experiences it's very interesting to me that you sort of you did want to bring them experiences sort of back to the world and see how people sort of decipher these messages and I know obviously mm-hmm. um, you and your brother as well um, talked about how it sort of it opens up a, a dimension of it dimension of experience or an unseen universe whatever you want to call it I know you, you've used a lot of many very brilliant well-articulated words and um but I mean do you do you still speculate that this that that world or them them sort of dimensions that you are sort of that are, un, are unfolding through the psychedelic experience do you think they are actually I mean do you still think these things are, could be inside us outside of or outside of ourselves
2: well, yeah, yes, I do, but I, I, you know, I, I think, I think my thinking about these things has evolved in some sense. I think again, this is where we get, we get, uh, you know, we get bogged down in words. Mm-hmm. You know, we're using words and concepts to discuss this stuff, and we don't normally pay attention to. The way we use simple words like inside outside, you know, or real unreal. I mean, we just assume that everybody understands what you mean, right? Mm -hmm. But actually, no. (laughs) You know, these are very highly charged words in a certain way because inside outside, is there really such a thing? I mean, that's what I mean. We're inside all the time, the hallucination that we construct. You know, maybe there really isn't an. I mean, we assume that there is an outside. Whatever you mean by that, you know, we're we're uh, among the many things that the Western tradition has uh, given us is kind of the curse of duality. You know, this Cartesian notion. You know, I think, therefore I am. I'm thinking, therefore I exist. Not saying much about what it what. Uh, you know, what else may exist, so, you know, we live in those, we live, in some ways, we're imprisoned by those conceptual constructs, Just, so you say, is it really out there, are these real entities out out there somewhere, mm-hmm. or are they in here, does this question even make sense, because there really is no inside, no outside, <laughs> Know, and no real no unreal that's yeah. the other thing that is hard here's the thing if you experience something it's real right I mean to the extent that you experience it it's real because all we have all we have is experience if you think about it we have this moment happening right now everything in the future hasn't happened we can anticipate how it's going to happen but it's not Real, we're not experiencing it. Everything in the past is is the past, and it may impact the moment. But I guess the point is that at a certain level, and phenomenology is really, you know, the the branch of philosophy that that uh, you know that articulates this. But you can say if you experience something, that experience is real you know whether it's inside something your brain constructed or or you know took information from outside it still went through that filter to construct something comprehensible so you can be sure so almost anything is real as an experience right that you might experience But then if you get into questions of, well, is it really there? I mean, I see a UFO, you know, a flying saucer just landed in my backyard. I am experiencing this, right? That's real. Is what I'm seeing real in the sense that, you know, it's not part of me, it's not part of my perception? It's very hard to tell because we can't step out of our reference frame. Mm. So, you know, it sounds like, Dodging the question, and in a certain way, it is. But it's also saying, don't assume we know anything. Yeah. You know, don't assume. Don't assume there is an inside or an outside. And you know, especially if you look at the, uh, you know, the so-called insights that you get from psychedelics. It's very common in those experiences when you have mystical or transcendent experiences for people to come back with, well, you know, we are all one. We're not separate. Uh, that's one of the one of the insights you come back with, along with the idea that yes, everything is intelligent, and intelligence is just something built in. And like I say, for Indigenous people, these are these are not these are not uh, conceptual constructs, like they are for us. They are just self evident. Uh, uh, elements of uh, the way they interact with the world and perceive with it. Mm -hmm. They don't spend a lot of time trying to dissect this, or maybe they do, I don't know, but I think they just accept it for what it is.
1: I love that, by the way, Dennis as well and um, it's very interesting when you were talking about how our sort of the view our view of the world sort of comes through them um, these sort of filters and it's very interesting, because I was thinking there in the back of our minds we're sort of this is what I like to see we 're sort of playing this game of sort of how how this reality is like sort of how how the world works. I mean, I mean, we know that. I mean, I know you know as well, you've experienced a lot of psychedelics, and it's interesting to me that we know that we're only sort of seeing a sliver of the real reality. I mean, what, this is an interesting question. I mean, why do you actually think we, why do you think we actually play that game in our minds and just accept this is how it is?
2: Why do we accept this reality um, movie that we create?
1: Well, yeah well basically when when you when you, and you especially when you and your brother have these um these you have these intense psychedelic experiences and many people all over the world do as well people come back from them experiences and, and they bring back this understanding that there is more to the reality and there is another sort of dimension out there another world whatever you want to call it and then you come back to this mm-hmm. sort of you come back to, the, to this reality sort of say it and um you have that understanding that we know there's there's more out there and we are only sort of seen seeing this sliver of a sort of the real reality i mean why do you think we sort of just play that game and just accept that in our minds
2: well uh, because um, um, it's convenient in a certain way yeah. so you can have these experiences you can step out of your reference frame you can come back with an appreciation of the of the fact that it's all a lot more complicated than we think and we're really only processing and and internalizing a small fraction of what's out there. Uh, But, you know, maybe at some point we can evolve to uh, process a a greater amount of data or whatever, but we can only process so much, you know, the the brain, uh, our, our capacity to perceive and not just, but then to weave that experience into something comprehensible you know which will be reflected in you know in, in be reflected in your your immediate experience first of all which is a small fraction of what's actually happening but then also the memories you construct that's like the I archive in some ways, of your experience, you know, if, if uh, and it's not really an accurate analogy, but if you think of time uh, as a line, you know, in your moment of instantaneous experience, the present moment that we're all experiencing at this moment is kind of like a needle moving along that line, you know, and what's behind it, is the past and the and in in our perception it's the memories not act necessarily there's a lot of confabulation and filling in but there are their our recollection of what has happened mm-hmm. and then, you know as the needle in the present moment moves on you're leaving a trail of this uh, you know this reconstructed partly perceptual partly partly illusionary uh, trail of your movement through time and in the future it hasn't happened yet that that it's like it's like the the perceptual the experiential moment as you move through time you you create it. I don't know I'm not being very coherent yeah. <laughs> about this
1: Sorry. (laughs) No, it's it's all right. That was a brilliant point. That was a really good point, by the way, and it made me think as well when you started mentioning the, uh, the future there. I was actually thinking in my head as well. I mean... I mean, what I loved about loved about you and sort of your brother Terence was your sort of abilities, like I said before, to bring back this sort of information that you did sort of receive from this from this world or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's it's very it's very interesting to me. And obviously, in in a sort of a way, you guys were sort of trying to sort of transcend sort of a meaning, sort of unexplained meaning and a message from your experiences, which is very hard to do. I mean, do you think in the when you mentioned the future before, do you think in the future we may actually be able to have some form of technology that can sort of capture that experience
2: the touch what kind of experience
1: so when you are when you are experiencing psychedelics and you and you and people you do have the visions and things like that and you you do get this information from wherever you get the information from whether it's another dimension another universe whether it is just from the earth itself trying to communicate with us do you think in the fu- with future technology we will be able to capture that whole experience and understand and understand what that meaning really means and what what the medicine is trying to transcend over to us?
2: Well. Uh... I don't know. I mean, I, I think that is the, I mean, if I can reinterpret what you're saying, do you think at some point we'll have a technology that is actually, uh, you know, some, cor- some kind of archiving function that is like, you know, the point of view technology, the thing that, you know, the thing that is you, that you can somehow record this to some kind of external, you uh, data storage system or whatever mm-hmm. is that what you're talking about yeah, in other yeah. words when I can have a dream and project it onto something you can go back later and, and see my dream
1: yeah that kind of Yeah, exactly Yeah, it's a very good example about the dreams as well because we know obviously that technology with dreams obviously could, uh, a lot of people are talking about how that technology will be possible so I'm actually thinking if that technology would be possible could this technology be possible in that realm
2: Oh yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I, I mean, we're not there yet, and this is one of these things where I'm not sure we want to go there. But mm. you know, here you've got to you know have some clear thinking about the you know the consequences of the technology that we that we can use. I mean, what if you could? I mean, it's probably true that all of this is going to be possible, and maybe not that far ahead. Mm-hmm. You know. Reality and that sort of thing, and working and so on. I mean, what, what would, if you had the ability to be somebody else for a day or experience the world through your eyes, their perceptual apparatus, or whatever, what would that be like? Mm-hmm. You know, is it even a good idea? And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I do think that. These neural technologies are going to make uh, a lot of things like that possible. Yeah, you know, or what if you could? You know, we're used to uh, seeing the world. We're basically one body. We have one point of view, and that's kind of how we apprehend the world. What if we could distribute our point of view over a hundred different people? How different would that be? Mm-hmm. And is that something? wanna be able to do because and is it good to do it? I am not I'm not saying I'm making a moral judgment. I'm just saying that these are these are all questions yeah, that yeah. are gonna come
1: Yeah yeah. I'll, yeah, Dennis. I was going to say I, I love that you're um, asking them questions as well because I think they are questions that need to be asked as well. And when you were talking about um, the sense of asking the question, should we view the world through sort of someone, someone else's ex, um, view the world through someone else's eyes and experience what they're experiencing? It's very interesting to me because um, <clears throat> I've been actually doing that sort of process lately where whatever i'm doing if even if i'm just walking down the street or driving in my car whatever it is i actually try and look at someone and um, i try and actually imagine myself through their eyes so i try and live I try and go go within their mind and appreciate like the whatever they're doing in their day to day life and every single time that i do that it actually makes me appreciate um every single human being through their own uniqueness in a sense if that makes sense mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. think so yes yeah, so i think maybe in the maybe in the future if we can experience if we can experience um other people's sort of um visions through psychedelics and things like that we might actually be be able to gain this better understanding about about um the human psyche that's what i'm thinking
2: yeah no i think you're i think you're quite right i mean i think we can learn a lot about uh, human nature our nature and other people's natures through through these uh, through these processes, but it's not too hard also to imagine a downside to that as well. I mean, you know, I mean, I, it, it's just uh, it's it's a kind of technology that could be used uh, in many different ways, and some good, some bad. I think we'll just have to see, you know, how. It uh, how it works out, you know. I mean, the idea, for example, that we could, uh, you know, selectively edit our memories and that sort of thing. I mean, we, we can all we can we're almost there, you know. Or we can insert false memories, and a lot of what memory is anyway is stuff that made up, that is made up. It's not necessarily an accurate record of what happened. It's it's a record of what you think happened, what, how you reconstruct it, and that's just the way we are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's evident it's um, it's evident to see that we are sort of still um, learning from sort of plants and things like that. And it's very interesting to think about how. If the, how the human race will sort of continue to sort of tap into this information in the world of psychedelics and the sort of spirit world and how we will sort of adopt these lessons and things like that and especially with technology coming around the future and how that will sort of change our understanding around this topic i mean dennis just to sort of wrap this up i mean how do you think how do you see uh, the future civilization actually being influenced by this current stage that we're at now i mean how do you do you, do you see like a, do you see the future civilization actually sort of embracing the spirit world more
2: well, yeah, I think it has to. I mean, I hope so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and I have, I go back and forth to from being a pessimist to an optimist, you know. We're a very thick-skulled species, and mm-hmm. we don't uh, assimilate lessons very well, you know. We have a hard time listening to the message of the plant teachers or whatever, or the message of nature, you know, so we're slow learners in case you haven't noticed and we're really dumb in some ways and uh, we make a lot of mistakes so i but i do think that the plant teachers are catalysts for consciousness and i think the main message that they are conveying at this time maybe they always have been is you know you monkeys gotta wake up Mm. you know that's the main message first you have to wake up and realize a few things that, like, you are not running things, that you are part of nature, and that you're you're screwing it up in a fairly, uh, you know, serious way. So you have to change your ways. You have to wake up to realize that. And then you have to wise up. That's the other thing. We could have to take what we learn from the plant teachers and our own, you know, insights and understandings. We have to become we have to become much wiser you know we have to bring cleverness and wisdom together we're very clever we're not wise enough so it's created this situation where we can manipulate technologies that are potentially extremely beneficial and could you know have enormous impacts on well-being on a global scale those same technologies are also potentially extremely destructive and could destabilize the the you know the feedback mechanisms that keep life on earth uh you know keep conditions on earth optimal for life and we see this happening with like global warming and all these things we're doing we're we're, we're not purposely but accidentally manipulating some of the geophysiological if I can use that term, geophysiological mechanisms that have kept the Earth amenable to life and compatible to life for, you know, 4 billion years. more. I mean, life has changed over that time. So has the Earth. But more or less, the parameters that can support life have existed that long. And we are in danger of destabilizing them to the point where they may go completely off track and cannot be restabilized.
0: stabilized Yeah.
2: Oh. And so that's, that's a depressing prospect. You know? yeah. I would like to think that we're smarter than that, that we will wise up, you know, and, um, of course you look around at what's going on in the world of certain political systems and all that. And there's plenty of reason to be, uh, Depressed and to despair, but I don't think that does any good because if you give in to despair, it's a kind of paralysis. But, uh, you know, uh, hope. I mean, I've kind of given up on politics. It's a fairly uh, depressing landscape. On the other hand, I know that there are lots of intelligent people doing lots of amazing things. And so that's kind of where I put my, my hope.
0: Yeah. Dennis, we completely agree we forget politics and think of podcasts that's where the real change is going to happen yeah. in this world and it's conversations like ours Dennis that's really going to impact people's lives and we are we're the voices <coughs> now we are we are the ones making the changes in this, in this world, and people's actually resonating more and more with these independent influences just like me and Dan, and you and yourself, we are really reaching out the voices of the generation. We're going to be the, the change that's going to push forward in the next 21st century. We are, right now, making a difference. With this conversation, Dennis, we
1: really have. And what I love as well, Dennis, <coughs> as well, is just to jump in as well, I love, I, what I love what Chris was saying there about how we are the new generation as well, but I think this new generation has also followed an old generation, who the, the likes of you and your brother were some of the first sort of, real yes. sort of, real sort of <coughs> pioneers that came forward and and share these deep messages in the likes of us are just sort of now taking on the rain and jumping onto these jumping onto these concepts that you, you and your brother were talking about years ago. So I just want to say a thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Absolute legend. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Dave. All right. Well, yeah, thank you very much. I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, one good thing that technology has done is it's put this kind of technology in our hands you know so we can create a message and propagate that around the world millions of people hear it and maybe that'll make a change they're definitely catalysts for change and SN podcast is a good example of that so thanks for having me
1: wow what a great episode that was thanks so much for listening and if you do want to find out more information about dennis and check out some of his up and coming conferences that he's speaking at and check also check out his books go to www.brotherhoodofthescreaminabyss.com and as you know this podcast is 100 percent funded by you so thank you so much and if you do want to become a patreon member and support the podcast would really appreciate it if you could just spare two minutes and check out the different reward days and you can check out more info about this at our patreon page if you go to ascend, or alternatively go to the ascend podcast website so anyway thanks so much for listening to the podcast we'll catch you next week where we have another amazing episode as always and just to play this podcast out and as a little added bonus as i like doing I'm going to play a talk from Dennis's brother, Terence, speaking many years ago about the human experience. It's called The Evolution of Reality by Terence McKenna. So keep seeking everyone. Peace. Um, Are we rolling?
3: The universe you and I are living in is a far more novel and complicated place than the early universe was. So I see the cosmos if you will as a kind of novelty producing engine a kind of machine which produces complexity in all realms physical chemical, social whatever and then uses that achieved level of complexity as the platform for further complexity is to complexify reality even more, to hand on a more diverse, more complicated, more multifaceted universe to our children. circumstances all inspire There's been life on this planet, but never life that could step outside of matter. But this is obviously what's in the cards and we are privileged to be central to that. What what history is, is the 25,000 year transition zone. Before you enter the zone, you're an animal. After you leave the zone, you're a god. If my ideas seem strange to someone, I ask them, can you imagine this planet in 500 years? Can you imagine this planet in a thousand years? No, no one can imagine that because processes are now in play which so totally rewrite the script that no one can imagine. This is what it's like when a species prepares to depart for the stars. You don't depart for the stars under calm and orderly conditions. It's a fire in a madhouse. And that's what we have, the fire in the madhouse at the end of time. This is what it's like when a species prepares to move on to the next dimension. The entire destiny of all life on the planet is tied up in this. We are not acting for ourselves or from ourselves. We are, we happen to be the point species on a transformation that will affect every living organism on this planet at its conclusion.